I'm glad you're joining us here this morning as we begin this new series on discipleship. And we're going to be focused on the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and how he instructs this young minister to grow the church by making disciples. Have you ever walked up on a couple of guys and they were laughing? Uh, maybe you were going to meet them at some spot and you got there a little after they did and they're already in the middle of a story and they start laughing and you walk up. The first thing you think about is, are they laughing at me? So you kind of check yourself and then you realize, no, they're laughing at a story that the two of them have in common that you may not know about. So you try to get them to tell you the story. Hey, guys, what are you laughing at? And they'll try. They'll try to stop laughing. And, but as soon as one of them says a word, any word, they'll start laughing again. Finally, finally, if you're lucky, if you're patient, they'll finally tell you what was so funny. You know, in that same kind of way, as we begin reading the second letter to Timothy, we're walking up and two guys are laughing, the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Now, knowing their story, knowing their situations, your first question is, wow, I'm not sure you guys have much to laugh about, or do they? Let's see. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading with verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Yes, I know you still may be at home, but even if you are, this is still God's word, and it's read and spoken. It changes everything. Hear Paul's word to Timothy. Hear Christ's word to us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life that we have in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, that when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you, rekindle your gift, the gift of God that is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound judgment. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. From being held prisoner in Rome, Paul writes a letter that makes his way to the church in Ephesus where Timothy is serving. Timothy holds on to the letter that's passed on to his church, that's passed on to other churches, that's passed on to other believers across time, across continents, across generations. And at long last, this same letter comes to us from somebody who knows to those of us who are learning the power and love and sound judgment 
that you give to all of us through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You would not expect this letter to be the kind of letter it is. Now, remember the situation. We've talked about this before. Paul is under arrest in Rome. Now, we're not sure, we're not sure if he's still in prison or is he under house arrest as described at the end of Acts. It all kind of depends on exactly where Paul was and exactly where you want to date this letter in Paul's ministry. But either way, being held captive in Rome, even under house arrest, is no laughing matter. <laughs> Timothy, he's the pastor in Ephesus. He has been left there to take care of that church, which in our understanding would have been a home church. At most 20 people, maybe as many as 50, but not prob probably not. There may have been a series of house churches that Timothy was responsible for. Even so, Ephesus was an extraordinarily tough place to pastor. Do you remember when Paul went there and started preaching? The silversmith started a riot, almost killed Paul. Paul describes it as wrestling with wild beasts. And that's where he sent Timothy to continue to deepen that discipleship. Now he wants Timothy to join him in Rome. And now he sends this letter. Paul couldn't go. Timothy couldn't leave, at least not yet. So Paul writes this letter. But it starts in a way that you wouldn't think. Okay, first of all, it begins with Paul's usual address. I, Paul, an apostle. Most of Paul's letters have that kind of, sign, of signing on. He lets us know who he is. He, he gives us a clue with what kind of authority he's writing. But more than anything, Paul never got over this. He never got over how he could have been an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the church, and yet be chosen, redeemed, and then sent to the Gentile world with the message of salvation of Jesus Christ. He never got over that. And letter after letter, you'll see him begin to tell his story, begin to remember his conversion, begin to describe his ministry, and he will explode in praise. He never got over it. In fact, it's just a few verses later in chapter 1 that he does the same thing. I know in whom I have believed, he writes. I'm confident that Jesus will keep what I have promised to him and what he has promised to me. Paul, the apostle to my son. Now, Timothy was not blood to Paul. We have the story in Acts where Paul met Timothy while he was preaching. He recognized the giftedness of Timothy and caused Timothy to come serve with him. And so Timothy joins Paul on the missionary journeys as an associate pastor, as an aide. And there, Timothy learns how to pastor a church to, to a point that he gains Paul's confidence. And Paul sends Timothy, Titus as well, but he sends Timothy to check up on the churches and now to pastor the church at Ephesus. Timothy, gifted, strong, smart, but in a tough situation. So Paul reminds him 
Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. Now, how does Paul remind him? Paul says, first of all, I want you to know I pray for you night and day, and I do so with great joy. I remember you. I remember your parents. I remember your grandparents. I remember how you became a Christian. I remember the time you were called, and I laid hands on you and ordained you to the ministry. I remember all of that, and I remember with great joy. Now, joy is not the same thing as happiness. Uh, we live in a world that is fixated on happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is fleeting. Uh, you get your favorite dessert, and you're happy. But as soon as you eat the dessert, you're not happy anymore. Someone gives you a nice present, and you're happy. But the present gets old. And you're not happy anymore. Joy is different. Joy abides regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance. You are joyful. You know how the story ends. And while this moment of circumstance, situation may be tough, maybe this part of the journey is painful, you never lose the ability to smile when you think about the presence of the risen Christ in your life. I don't know if you can sincerely pray without joy breaking into your prayer sometime or another. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Sure, prayer is hard. Life is hard. And there are times when the only thing you have in your prayer are tears. Have you been there? When you find that quiet place where you go to pray and your heart is so heavy, the moment's so pressing, you don't know what to do. And you put your head down on your arms and you cry. Have you been there? <laughs> You're praying. The same spirit that searches the depths of God searches your depths and gathers up those prayers that you can't find words for and takes them from your heart to the heart of the Father. And somewhere in the middle of that pain, it will come to you. The Son of the Most High God is listening to my prayer. Jesus has taken my phone call. I called, and he picked up. <laughs> Do you know how many people in the world I can't get hold of? Do you know how many people won't return my call? The other day, I returned someone's call. I got his administrative assistant, and she said, I'm sorry, he's busy. And I told her, just tell him Mike Glenn's on the line. He'll drop everything. She laughed. She knew he wouldn't drop everything to take my call. <laughs> I knew it. But in those moments when you can't find words, 
and you realize that the Jesus who hung on the cross for you, the Jesus who was raised from the dead for, for, for you, is now listening to you. Joy. You're going to be okay. Maybe you don't know how this situation or that circumstance will work out, but you do know this. Jesus has heard you, and he's always working for your best joy, regardless of the circumstance. I think about you with great joy. And when Paul talks about the joy, he gives Timothy some particulars. He said, here are the things I think about when I think about you. I think about the time you wept. Most likely, Timothy's conversion. I remember how the faith that lived in your mother and in your grandmother was passed to you. How they taught you and how when I came and started talking with you and confirmed what they had already taught. And then we begin to see how God was working in your life. And we called that gift out and we confirmed it by the church laying hands on you. I remember that. I remember how we have endured all that we have endured on the mission trip and how through it all, we weren't afraid because God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but power, love, sound judgment. Power, do you remember? Do you remember, Timothy, when I told you about the time when Paul and Silas and I were in the Philippian jail and they had beaten us and thrown us in there and Paul and Silas started worshiping. Do you remember that story, Timothy, how I and Silas started singing and God who inhabits the praises of his people filled that jail cell up to the point that the cell could no longer contain him and he blew the prison doors open. We have the spirit of power how much power paul enough power to blow open a prison door to pull jesus back from the dead the spirit of power the ability to get things done this mission that we've been called to that everybody else says is impossible god the father in jesus christ gives us the power to get it done Love. So that what everybody thinks is broken can be restored. See, Paul just didn't write 1 Corinthians 13. He lived it. The reason he wrote those words is he knew them. Oh, what evidence do we have of that? Here's the evidence we have. At the end of this letter, 2 Timothy Paul tells Timothy to send John Mark. Now, you remember John Mark? He was the guy who failed on the first missionary journey. He was the guy who caused the rupture between Paul and Barnabas. And now, Paul considers him a colleague in the ministry. The rupture between Barnabas and Paul was restored. The rupture between John Mark and Paul was restored. Love bears all things. Love keeps no record of wrong. The power of love to heal what no one else thinks can be healed 
and sound judgment. Wisdom, the ability to know what to do in a situation where nobody else knows what to do. Do you remember Timothy? Do you remember who you are? Do you remember those people before you and what they endured so that you could have the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus Christ? Do you remember who you are and who you are called to be and where Jesus Christ himself has sent you? Do you remember this? It's who you are. And I know it is overwhelming at times, but Jesus didn't give us the spirit of fear but power, love, and sound judgment. Do you ever take the moment to remember? To have the stories that make you laugh out loud, things that you didn't think anybody could make happen that you thought were impossible, (laughs) and somehow Jesus came through. And when you think about those moments, the only thing you can do is laugh. You know, I remember growing up in that little church in Huntsville, Alabama. My mother didn't ever take me to the nursery. That wasn't my mother's way. I always went to big church. I remember sitting on the pews in that church with my legs too short to bend. My legs stuck straight out. I remember listening to Brother Barrett preach. I remember the night I went in and told my mom and dad, I think I want to be a Christian. I remember when I was baptized in that church. I remember when I was ordained and I sat in that fellowship hall surrounded by the men who had been my Sunday school teachers, who had been the deacons, who had been the leaders of that church that I had grown up with, men I loved and admired, and men who loved me, and men who sat and looked at me and said, We know. We know you're called. We've known this for a long time, Mike. Here's what we see in you. Here's what we pray for you. Do you remember the people who have gone before you? Do you remember the people who have gone before you in Brentwood Baptist Church? (laughs) You know, we're kind of known for being cutting edge and doing things unique and different. Listen, we come from a long line of crazies. Did you know Brentwood Baptist Church when it was in the basement of the children's home? You've heard this story about the legal pad, right? Yeah. Clarence Edmonds, the treasurer of the church at the time, went person to person in the middle of the worship service and had each member sign that pad. And on that pad was this, who you were, your address, where you worked, and how much of the church note you were willing to co-sign for. Now, this wasn't a pledge, This was, if the church went belly up, you were responsible for the amount that you wrote on that legal pad. You were responsible for that to the bank. (laughs) That's what Clarence took to the bank as collateral for the first loan of this church. Brentwood Baptist Church was one of the first churches in America to build a gym before it built a sanctuary. Did you know that? Now, you have to remember when they built... The, the facility on 409 Franklin Road, there wasn't a Y, there wasn't a Brentwood High School, nothing. There was nothing for the young people to do after school. So Bill Wilson led the church to build a gym that served as a skating rink, a sanctuary, a wedding hall, and a basketball gym. 
And if you talk to some of our members who were, who were part of the church, they'll tell you about the community that was built around that gym. There was a sanctuary on Sunday morning. That's who you come from. I remember Bill Wilson and my friendship with him. Besides my dad, there's no man that was more important to me than my friendship with Bill Wilson, the founding pastor of this church. I remember. And I remember with great joy. Oh, not that every moment of my life is happy, not that every moment works out, but I know who's working it out. I have the stories of this church to remind me. So how about you? I know this is one of the craziest times that we've ever had to live through. This pandemic has got us all scrambled. Some days we don't even know what day it is because the quarantine has messed us up so badly. But when you pray, do you smile? Just a little bit. When you realize that the son of the most high God is listening to you, when you realize your biggest advocate is the same Savior who died for you, do you remember who you are? Do you remember those men and women in your life who brought you this word? Do you remember your calling and the mission to which you are sent? So begins first, Second Timothy. Paul's last letter. You wouldn't expect it to be that kind of letter, but it's the kind of letter that Paul wrote. It's the kind of letter he wanted Timothy to be. We are living letters, we're told. So Paul was that message to the Gentile church, and that ministry was inherited by Timothy, and now he was sent as a, as, as a letter to the Gentile church. And in this world of craziness, in this world of confusion and frustration, you and I are now sent as letters. Not about how we're afraid, but about a Jesus who gives us power love, and sound judgment. And we know this. We remember this. And when we do, joy. Let's pray together. Return to us the joy of knowing that we are yours and you are ours. 
so that every day is overflowing with the worship of who you are and what you are doing, even in those moments when we can't see it. We'll trust you anyway. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Do you remember who you are? Do you remember those men and women who were part of your life, who helped you understand who you are, who you are in Christ Jesus? <laughs> Do you know the mission you have been sent? What you were called to do, who you were called to be, the purpose and identity that Christ and Christ alone can give you. Do you know that? If you don't, would you text CONNECT to 623-623? We would love to have an opportunity to talk with you about that. That'll give us a chance. We'll be in touch with you as soon as we can. However, we can respond to you. Just text CONNECT to 623-623. God is up to something. Be sure you're right in the middle of it. Amen. Go with God, and we'll see you next week.